0: Um, so if you don't have a Bible and would like one, um, do pop your hand up and uh, one can be placed into it. And uh, Tim Harris is going to come and read to us from Galatians 4. Thanks, Tim. And after Tim's read, it'll be over to Sam. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the well, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons god sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out abba father so you are no longer a slave but god's child and since you are his child god has made you also an heir Formerly. When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters. Become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you have not if you, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you.
1: Thanks, Tim. Uh, good morning all. My name's Sam, uh, one of the pastors here. If you don't know me, uh, do keep that passage open uh, if you've got it there. Uh, let me pray, and we're going to uh, spend some time looking through those words uh, together. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, we've thought much about you already this morning. We've prayed. We've sung your praises. We've thought. We've read your word. We've exalted your name through your psalms. We've confessed our sins. We've confirmed what we believe. And so now as we come to your word and think more deeply about it, we ask that you would speak to us by your spirit for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, in the book of uh, Galatians that we've been going through uh, since the beginning, uh, Paul has been in chapter 3 explaining how people are saved from God's right judgment and wrath through not their attempts or our attempts at pleasing God or obeying his good law, but by God's promises to his people. Uh, He made those promises to Abraham, we saw uh, last week in chapter 3. And he fulfills it through the death and a resurrection of the Lord Jesus. All we can do is believe his promises. We can't actually do anything to affect our salvation. It's salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Uh, The Galatians, who he's writing to then, uh, have forgotten this and are tempted or are starting to stray back to ways in which they're trying to earn their salvation themselves. They're even obeying some of the ceremonial laws, which have all now been fulfilled in Jesus. And as such, to do that, to say I need to do a bit of this is to undermine the need for Jesus to save them at all. And in chapter 4, where we've reached today, Paul continues this theme by reminding the Galatians and those of us who believe here today that we were once slaves without Christ, but we are now sons of God. Uh, so we've got three points. Uh, there's quite a lot in this passage, uh, so we'll just work our way through as we go. So number one, without Christ, we are slaves. Have a look at verse 1 and 2. What, I'm, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Uh, it's a simple illustration that should, you, should your father die in those times and you were the eldest son, then you would be heir to all. But until you're old enough, until the time set by your father in his will, uh, you would be no different from a slave. You'd be at the mercy, at the, subject, uh, the subjection of your guardians and trustees who control the inheritance until you are of age. Uh, so his point is that the Jews have been promised an inheritance, but until Jesus came and fulfilled the promise at the right time set by the Father, all are still enslaved to sin under the law. That, that's his point. And then verse three, he puts it like this: uh, So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world he's speaking about the law but he now adds this uh, aspect of elemental spiritual forces there is a bit of debate over what this verse actually means I think the most likely uh, reading of it because of verse eight and nine which I'll read in a minute is that he's somehow saying that while we are under the law of God we are under slavery to Uh, The influences of Satan, the devil, the prince and ruler of this present age. So have a look at verse 8 and 9. Let me just read them to you. Uh, This is how he describes being enslaved to elemental spiritual forces. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. He's not specifically talking about just the law here. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? But if this is the case, uh, that under the law of God we're enslaved to demons, to uh, Satan's work, uh, how can that be the case? Because the law of God is a good thing given to his people. It shows us our sin. As we've said before, it's like a mirror. God's holy and good character held up in the law reflects back to us our depravity, our sinfulness. And so it leaves us calling back to God for mercy and grace. It's our only option. We can't fulfill the law, so we ask him for mercy and grace. That is how the law should work, yes. The problem is is that the great Galatians are at risk, as perhaps some of us are here today, of not using the law as a mirror, leaving us to call out in mercy to God, but using the law as a way of trying to justify ourselves. If only I could fulfill it all or do all the right things, then Jesus will love me. And the work of the devil is to twist the goodness of God. Uh, he is delivering deceptive lies into our world so that we feel like we can earn our way to God if I'm just a good person. So don't be mistaken. To reject Jesus as our saviour in any way is still to be enslaved under sin against the law of God, but it's also to be enslaved to the devil and his lies. It is to believe his lies. And sadly, the vast majority of our country, and perhaps our world, are at the mercy of not God's good uh, grace, but the devil's. Without Christ, we are slaves, says Paul. But, point two, in Christ, we are sons. Have a look at verse four. But when the time oh, sorry Tim made some it's quite hard to read some of these verses but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Uh, some big stuff in there, we're going to come back to it. But just a note to be clear, that Paul is not just talking about men here. Uh, Paul is using the term son and sonship because he's talking about uh, this illustration of an inheritance. The point being that in those times, uh, it would have been the eldest male son who would inherit the title and the estate and be responsible for caring for everyone else under that. So in actual fact his point here is that all men and women in Christ are all considered to be just like that firstborn son. It's actually an, uh, an incredible uh, elevation of both men and women to an inheritance neither deserve. So that's why he's using this term son and sonship uh, to elevate us all to this position of firstborn male heir. And uh, Uh, He says that uh, just in last week's passage, uh, verse 28, he's already said this, just to make the point clearer. uh, Verse 28 of chapter 3, For there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is the male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's talking about here everyone. All are welcome to be this, uh, to inherit this adoption to sonship in Christ. So let's break down verses four and five, have them in front of you while we look. So far, then, Paul has said that once we were enslaved to Satan under the law of God, now, verse four, Christ has come at just the right time, according to God's good timing. He is, verse four, sent from God and God's own son. In other words, Jesus is divine. He is part of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, he is uniquely, unlike any other person who has walked the earth, able to share his inheritance with those he chooses to share it. He is the heir, and he is therefore able to share it. He is divine, and he can make others co-heirs with him, sons and daughters of God, himself Uh, we're also told he is born of a woman verse 4 so he is also fully human and therefore he's able to redeem humanity he's able to pay the price that only humanity could rightly pay before God it is humanity that has sinned and turned against God so it is a human that needs to repay that judgment we're also told he is under the law as we are only Jesus fulfills it perfectly in obedience to God, his Father. And so as both divine God and as righteous man, Jesus can hold out adoption to sonship to God, to us. It is quite a transformation, isn't it? From slavery to being a son of God. And what does that look like? Verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Uh, First the Son is sent, verse 4. Now verse 6, the Spirit is sent. The Son achieving and completing the redemption payment for our sin before God through his own death and resurrection on the cross, his life for us. The righteous Son of God slain for us to justify and redeem us. And in the second sending of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of his work, completed in the Lord Jesus, he now enters our heart. And he enables us to be adopted to God the Father. And instantly and miraculously, the Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. We're adopted. We're his sons and daughters. It's almost like a a coming home. I found you, Father, dear Father. I can cry that out because I've received your spirit, achieved through the work of your son. Uh, You might recall a parable of the uh, prodigal son. He asks his father for his share of the inheritance. He goes off and he squanders a lot, uh, gets up to know God good, and he ends up looking after pigs. And he's so hungry, he even wants to eat the food the pigs have got, but no one will give him any. And in Luke, uh, Luke 15, it's on the screen, 18, he says this. I'll set out... And I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I'll be your slave, he says. I don't deserve sonship. And when his father sees him, he declares, My son. And the young boy is able to say, Abba, father, father, dear father, And so it is with us. We don't deserve sonship. But that is what we receive in Christ. A coming home to our Father through the work of Jesus and through the indwelling of the Spirit who enables us to say, Abba, Father, you've made me your child. Uh, In Romans 8.15, Paul puts it like this. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So without Christ... We are slaves to the devil under the law of God. In Christ, we are made sons and receive the Holy Spirit. But the Galatians are forgetting this. They're forgetting this great gospel. And Paul says, just stay on track. Don't forget the gospel. Don't forget who you are. You are sons. So our third point we follow Paul as he gives the, uh, reminds them of a few things, to stay on track as sons. So the first one is, don't look back to slavery. Stay on track as sons, don't look back to slavery. Have a look at verses 8 to 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, because he's given you his spirit, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. We are strange creatures, aren't we? Uh, so strong is our natural desire to serve ourselves, to rule ourselves, that even once the Galatians are made sons, they are quick to desire again their former slavery. Uh, it's nothing new. Uh, maybe you remember the Israelites in the wilderness on their, long, on their long journey to the promised land of God, the land flowing with milk and honey, having been freed from slavery in Egypt. Egypt. And yet what happens? They grumble against Moses and God, Exodus fourteen 12. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. Well, they didn't say that, but that's what they remember. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. The slightest challenge or a twisted teaching, as they're getting here in Galatians, comes along to our faith and our walk with Jesus, and we dream of those green grass days of slavery. Slavery under Satan. How good it was. Uh, For the Galatians, it seems their temptations were tied up uh, with the most persuasive teacher in town, as we'll see in a minute. But don't forget who you are now, says Paul. Sons of the living God. Uh, you don't need any sort of dreary, dreary formulaic religion, observing special days and festivals as if any of that will save you. No, in Christ, we now know God, or better still, He knows us. We're His sons, indwelt by His Spirit, so we have a father child relationship of peace and love and joy and security. Of course, that means that will involve us being careful to please and to honour our Father. But not out of dreary, dreary, can't even say it, dreary religion, but out of joy and peace. Don't look back to slavery, he says. Don't dream of your pre-Christian days. Or don't envy those who aren't Christians, who seem to live as they please. While we sacrifice and serve the Lord Jesus. It's it's a mirage in our head. No, we were enslaved to the devil himself. Facing God's right judgment under his right and good law. Now we are free in Christ, sons of the living God. So don't look back to slavery. Uh, The second way to stay on track, uh, I think the last two revolve around this uh, Paul giving an example of what he's trying to do amongst them. Uh, So I've called it Evaluate Your Pastors According to Their Loyalty to the Bible. Have a look at verse uh, 13. Uh, This is Paul telling them about the first time he came to Galatians. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Uh, The gospel freed them from slavery... And despite Paul's illness and his burden to them, he was a trial to them, they heard the truth and so honoured him. And so what happened? He asked, verse 15, Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you'd have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Uh, Now presumably Paul had some kind of eye infection that caused him great discomfort. Uh, And when he was with them, they would have given him their eyes if they could, if it would have helped him. Because he told them the truth of the gospel and they saw they were freed from slavery. Now though, simply because he's told them the truth of the gospel again and this time they don't like it, they consider him their enemy. He says something they don't like, and they don't like him. Uh, they have judged him on their, their feelings, not on Paul's loyalty to God's word. And so place themselves on a slippery, unaccountable track back to slavery. Now pastors today are not, you'll be pleased to know, apostles like Paul. Uh, but like Paul, a pastor's job before God is not to agree with everyone, this is Paul's point, but it's to bring them the truth of the apostolic word. And when someone preaches rightly, they're giving you the words of God's word. They're not giving you what their words or ideas, but they're showing you what the Bible says. So Paul reminds them, don't view or judge your pastors based on how they make you feel or whether they agree or disagree with some of your your thoughts or, or whether they look good or frankly look pretty horrendous with their eyes all itchy and bulging out, as he was. Judge them on whether they teach the Bible or not. And often that will mean we are challenged or exhorted or humbled or redirected because that is what the Word of God does. Uh, Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When you first believed, says Paul, you treated me like I was Jesus Christ himself because I taught you the truth. But now you treat me as an enemy because you don't like what I say. It's important because there's always someone to tell you something encouraging and lead you back to slavery, he says. Verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that that you may have zeal for them. Uh, In our age, with the internet giving us access to almost every church on the planet, and the teachings of millions of pastors across the world, it would be very easy to find pastors who make you feel good or to support your version of Jesus or Christianity. They may well teach against the things you hear here at Grace Church, for example, so as to turn you away from the truth and give you a zeal for them. Don't judge a teacher on how they make you feel, says Paul. Paul or how they agree with you or not judge them on whether they are loyal to the bible to the apostolic truth as paul gave it to us uh, i don't know maybe maybe some of us play pay lip service to the elders uh, here at grace church but in private behind closed doors when we're with people we actually agree with Uh, Dismiss those who strive uh, to faithfully call us to joyous and godly, holy living in Christ. Are we perhaps sometimes actually zealous for worldly ideas or, or even false teachings within the wider churches across our country because it fits more comfortably with how we really think? Now, I say all this cautiously Uh, we must not treat a pastor as an infallible prophet. But we ought to evaluate them according to their loyalty to God's infallible word, rather than our emotions or their look or style or our personal theological views. After all, a pastor who teaches the Bible is not elevating themselves or looking to please you, or looking to have you zealous for them, he is looking to elevate and please and have you be zealous for the Lord Jesus through his word. And that's uh, really our final point, uh, is what are we looking to look like? How is it a pastor evaluates you according to uh, your lifestyle? And I want to say it's according to your Christ-likeness. Our last few verses. Uh, so we've already seen that false teachers in Galatians, in verse 17, are really after self-flattery. They want you to think they are great, to be zealous for them. And in contrast, Paul says, verse 18, It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, not just when I'm watching, he says. Don't be zealous for false teachers. Don't be zealous for good pastors who do teach the Bible. But it is good to be zealous for something, and not just when the pastor's looking. Zealous for what then, verse 19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed. About you. Uh, Paul, the model pastor, if you like, is in agony. He's in childbirth until those in the church have Christ formed in them. In other words, Paul is searching and praying and teaching so that Christ is formed in each of them in Galatia. Our zeal then is to be like Christ. So that the cries of Abba, Father, from the Spirit of Jesus are audible through our lifestyle and our actions and our words and our time and our bank accounts and our parenting and our evangelism and our work and our relationships. All of them testify, Father, Abba. Uh, Paul is perplexed, he's in agony, he's desperate to see Christ formed in them. And he evaluates them based on their Christ-likeness. And when they don't show it, he pleads for change, by teaching truth, God's word. Uh, so let me summarize to close. Uh, friends, if we have faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, then we are not slaves but sons and daughters, firstborn sons of the living God. And as such, the Spirit lives in us and cries out, confirming our adoption, Abba, Father, I'm home, you've called me. And so hold fast to the apostolic truth that Paul proclaimed, that the Bible teaches, let nothing sway you from it and no one, Look for pastors who are loyal and faithful to the word and point you to Jesus, not themselves and not yourselves. Be zealous for Christ, that he may be formed in you. For we are children of God. Let me pray. Uh, Before the service, Bill uh, said he read this verse this morning. I think it's helpful uh, now as we pray. Uh, Joshua 22, verse 11. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have freed us from slavery if we have faith in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that it is all your work that we now know you, or better, you now know us. Thank you for your spirit who enters our heart and cries out for us, Abba, Father, making us confirmed, guaranteed our adoption, our inheritance with you. Forgive us when we have strayed to those who haven't taught your word, we have been led astray by others or other teachings which aren't faithful to your word, forgive us when we've been zealous for other things or other ideas. May we be zealous to be like Christ alone. Give us confidence in every letter of your word. Humble us to be challenged and exhorted and corrected when needed. Encourage us and show us that it is all through Christ that we have life at all. Thank you for freeing us from slavery. And may we be careful in response to your free gift to love you, the Lord our God. Amen. Amen.